Where did you like to play as a child? I ask this question a lot because childhood memories shape us into the people we become. Welcome to Play It Forward, a worthy podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Ritson. Thanks so much for joining me. I talk a lot about play. I'm a dad, I'm a husband, I'm an educator, and I'm a playground designer. So I want to gather some of my favorite people who are advocates of children and nature and create a space to have an honest conversation about getting more kids outside. The power of play is very often underestimated and I think we all need a little more play in our lives. Welcome to another Worthy Play It Forward podcast. Um, I've got a very, very special guest with us today. Someone that's inspired me personally, um, has been a great support to the Worthy family ongoing with sharing his expertise, his openness and encouragement for what we do here at Worthy. Um, we've got the phenomenal Adam Bainstock. Um, Adam is a disruptive designer, transformative trainer and relentless advocate of children in play um, with his joint director and wife, Jill Bainstock, two sons, Sam and Leo, all the way from North Ontario. Um, just living outside, living only a stone's throw from his facilities there. Um, Adam builds and impacts um, play and advocates for children all across Canada, all across America. Um, he sits on countless boards, is passionate about risk and just that authentic childhood experience that all children have a right to. So thanks for joining us all the way from Ontario. We're sharing a, sharing a drink together, which is great. It's nice to see you. I yeah. mean, the, the time change, you get to have your espresso and I get to have my Canadian beer. So Perfect. I'm jealous. And it's still okay. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and a bit of backstory. Um, here I was at Worthy thinking I was all original doing like advocating and design and nature play and training. And then I come across Bainstock and thought, this guy's got it locked down. Um, we were fortunate <laughs> enough to meet up in San Fran at the CNNN conference, yeah. um, shared a beer, shared catch up, and um, it was just phenomenal. So thank you so much for that. Super inspiring. I got back and the team were like, whoa, we've got to really keep up <laughs> with all this stuff. <laughs> I'm like, we've got to do this, we've got to do this, we've got to do this. So it's phenomenal. We're continents apart, so we just get to help each other. It's easier. Yeah, it's brilliant. And you've got so much going on. Um, and I think... Well, I wanted to have you on because you've been in this field for so many years. You've faced yep. all the roadblocks there is, like from um, from the journey from being coming from that landscape design background into the realm of play and then teaming up with Jill's education side and advocacy side, that marrying up and moving into this sector and... Um, at, at a real challenging time where it's all surplus safety and things and you've just been changing the landscape there. So I'd love to, I think it's a great Thanks. value to our listeners to be able to hear your experience. Yeah, and, and I was out in Australia. Um, I, I did all kinds of things for, uh, for Nature Play. In, yeah. I don't know. And, uh, and have done a series of tours way back um, across uh, Australia that uh, people actually paid for to come and, and see me, which was shocking as some kid from Canada coming out there. But um, yeah, I guess we're, I guess if you're old enough, you get to be able to say you're an international expert. Um, it's just age, man. <laughs> it's just age. And, um, but I will I'll... say, you, 
you talk about Jill and uh, my wife, who is very smart, and if I say anything intelligent about child de development, it's, it's frankly because she told me. Um, but the other part of it that was a big help, two really important formative pieces, one, a guy named uh, Dr. Fraser Mustard, who wrote the early years study, uh, who I found myself in Adelaide giving a talk, and I looked on the door of the auditorium that I was walking in, and it was the Fraser Mustard uh, auditorium. And I thought, isn't that interesting? There's a different Fraser Mustard that lives in Australia. <laughs> Little did I know that Fraser Mustard was a big uh, name in Australia in early childhood education. Mm. And growing up when I was a kid, he was the guy who liked red wine and drank too much at my house when I was five. <laughs> yeah. But he pushed me hard into figuring out how to provide sensory uh, engagement opportunities for kids. Yeah. And then um, my dad is, if you Google my dad, you will see him as the father of mucosal immunology. So uh, so he was the guy who told me I was not allowed to wash my hands before dinner Yeah. because uh, because we need to get all those bugs into us. So he's an expert on how biodiverse environments affect our immune system. Yeah. So I have these weird underpinnings that, I mean, I think I was doomed. I don't think I could have done anything else. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. And um, also as those... Um, those relationships you've also linked up with a guest we've had on before um, Angela Angela yeah. Hanscom balance and barefoot yeah um, I can yeah. see how that relationship works as well yeah she's great so uh, Angela's very smart very uh, understands the whole occupational therapy side of, um, of physical engagement and how balance and agility scores and our kinesthetic sense are so related to those uneven surfaces and the sensory engagement that we get and how that's critical um, if you're going to avoid things like, uh, you know, sensory integration issues, which are massive issue um, across the board, as well as just basic core strength, ability to focus, language, writing, reading, all of these things that come from that sensory engagement early. And uh, so she and I got talking and now we've given a few talks together and and we've partnered on a, a few things. And uh, uh, so I was actually, you know, ironically, I was talking to her today and she says, hello. Oh, thank and, you. Awesome. Uh, and I was lucky and, enough to um, have a, be a part of one of those um, trainings yeah. that you did together, which was awesome. Yeah. 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 So she, she is a very special person who, uh, who understands this at, at its absolute core from an occupational therapist perspective, which is an important uh, perspective to, to, to have in here. Yeah, hundred percent. And, um, we talk about this, um, childhood experience and the need for like the sensory diversity, sensory input. And I want to address something we come up against all the time when we're referencing different research from around the world, we're talking about Canada and America and people like, I find a lot dismiss it straight away. say, well, Oh no, that's different. It's Canada. It's different. It's America. And for someone Good. that has done projects from Jakarta and all across the world, maybe you can talk to that why you can't dismiss. Well, I think I find this whole thing fascinating. Um, I'm sorry to say to those who doubt, but um, Australians and Canadians are the same species <laughs> and, and there's no avoiding it. And I can tell you from vast uh, amount of experience in talking and with and working with kids, because part of our process involves working with kids, whether that was doing a, a consultation um, just outside of Adelaide uh, in the McLaren Valley with a group of kids. Yeah. They, 
are annoyed by parents and adults in just exactly the same way. They react in exactly the same way to uh, inputs that produce anxiety or excitement. The, uh, we have the same, the same deals. And whether I'm in a climate weather where, where there's uh, fires in California or whether there's fires on the edge of Adelaide in, uh, in Australia, these are the same anxieties and the same issues that, that we're facing in kids developmentally human beings yes. are the same. Yes. So, and there is some decent uh, uh, people out of, uh, um, who are doing uh, good work in, in, Aus in Australia. So it's not like, uh, I mean, I spend my time um, uh, quoting some of the people I like, uh, Dr. Holt out there, who is uh, uh, a big advocate of the macro and microorganisms that we need in our body. Yes in order to have a healthy immune system. So there's a lot of very good research. Woman of the Year a couple of years ago um, uh, in Australia is all about play and engagement. And uh, she comes out of Perth. Uh, Bold Park, you know, International Mud Day, that's an Australian invention. Yeah. Uh, out of, from Gillian uh, McAuliffe out in, in Bold Park School, or she was originally Bold Park School in Perth. Yeah. So, so it's the same stuff. I think the way that people engage and the reason that we've been successful, I can tell you there was a moment in time, um, you know, we're at over one and a half thousand sites that we've worked on now. Yeah. Um, and there was a moment about five years ago where I sat down with my team and we were talking about really banging our heads against the wall on a, on a lot of compliance and risk and fears about injury and they're the same list over and over again and and i thought well i'm not going to convince people we we decided that we were going to stop trying to sell this as connection to nature yeah primarily and the reason was that it seems that people are motivated by four things they're motivated by uh, four separate causes um or they're attached to four separate causes one of them is child development and education Another one is health and well-being. Another one is economy, and another one is environment. And there's those four things. And so it's up to us when we're talking to someone who may have an objection to have the conversation honestly with them about what's important to them first. For me, it's environment. This is easy for me. Yeah. If the planet's dead, I don't have a job and a life. So that's my first priority. Call me crazy. That's my thing. So, so, and, and I, I feel lucky that I get to do something that contributes positively to that. And frankly, for me, um, I knew that my kids would be this age, they're 13 and 14 now. And I knew that they were going to have a moment in this age. And they, I, I started in earnest. I was at it for a while before, but when they were born, I got very serious about this business because I knew that they would turn 14 and they would look at me and say, you know, what the hell did you do? The planet is screwed. You, your generation is the one that did this damage. And I needed to be able to look them in the eye and say that I had done everything that I could yeah. to help. And I have tried to create a generation that um, through that one and a half thousand or, or more sites are, are actually touching and feeling something different. Um, that they're having that experience in nature, that they're in an urban center, but they're having that experience in nature and we planted over a hundred thousand trees and in significant number in urban centers now yeah so i wanted to be able to say that to them and anyway the the four 
the reason I mentioned those four things, and the, just to get back to that, people need to have the logic that fits for the cause that they believe in most. Yeah. Only 10% of us, sadly, only 10% of us around the world, 10 to 15 maybe, it goes up a little bit every year, uh, consider the environment their number one cause. Yeah. That's my number one cause. But if I tell them that they have to buy into this because of my cause, I'm never getting Good there. luck. <laughs> so if it's economy, no problem. Let's talk about local economy. Let's talk about local, using local wood and working with them and, and local landscapers and how can we team with people locally to support their economy. Yeah. If it's health and well-being, man, we can go on and on and on. You pick any measure on health and well-being and we'll beat the pants of the, off of the alternative to nature play. Yep. We win on every possible metric from balance and agility scores all the way through. Um, and, and, and specifically, very clearly around immune system. And if you go to education, we can win on child development. Yep. So, so we start with that conversation, what's important to you, and then we tailor the conversation around that. And that changed everything for us. Mm. That was a big turning point. That's suddenly we suddenly were people were willing to fight with us yeah. to get through the nonsense because we believed what they believed. We yeah. supported them in what they believed. And you need the advocacy on the ground or you're dead. Yeah, 100%. And yeah. what I hear is like, yes, it's about play, but it's the... It's those internal values that need to be met before we go yeah. in to talk about play. Because if I go in and start talking about play as value, it's just can be in my priorities economics. It's going to, going to be dismissed as, oh, okay, that's a bit of nice stuff. It's right. a bit of um, nostalgia. And oh, yeah, that's nice. But realistically, how's that going to contribute? So if play is the most important thing to you, then the argument has to be about the economics of play. Yeah. So, and there's great information around what that does to people's ability to um, pivot in an adverse situation. And I think we're in the middle of one right now. Yeah. Uh, and to adjust and to think laterally and to accept change and all of those things. If you yep. want to think about mobile economy that is about intellect, not manufacturing capacity, yep. are uh, assisted uh, with uh, with with, a, with the, the sort of things that play does to our brains yeah. early. And a very simple one, what's play to you? Uh, <laughs> so no, play, I think it's the underpinning of, of, of just about, so play is um, the way we con kids into learning. Uh, I think that's part of it. Yeah. I think it's the way, for me, it's the way we con them into having the macro and microbiota that are required for a healthy immune system. So that's getting their their hands in their mouth after they've been in the muck, and that's getting, you know, all of their senses engaged in it. Um, for me, it is the start of their ability um, to to use their imagination. Uh, I think it's the core um, it's the core of social collaboration for kids. So yeah. it's the core of social strata for kids. It is the way in which those synapses at the very early stages fire and get connected into pathways that develop who we are as adults. So it is at the very core of who we become. Um, 
and how we assess risk yeah. and how we feel confidence and how we um, suppress the need for instant gratification. And, and I think without those things, I, I think we become, if you look at, at removing play, and I always think about, you know, compared to what? So play at its core being multi-sensory and um, social and messy and risky and um, thoughtful and thoughtless and uh, scary and calm and quiet and contemplative and mad, busy, crazy, risky, leaping off and jumping into uh, the abyss. If it's all of those things, and it is all of those things, without that, um, frankly, really good studies on this, without that, kids go nuts. Yeah. They go, it, it really does screw up. The The synapses can, can be so affected um, that we end up with sensory integration issues with kids. We end up with socialization uh, uh, issues. We, we end up with, with, without play yeah. at its core and a lot of it. Um, we end up with learning disabilities. We end up with reading disabilities. We end up with deficits in people's empathy scores. Yeah. Um, so it is at the core of who we are and who we become and without it, we're kind of screwed. Yeah. And even if you look fast forward, the economic cost of that, um, the social cost, the community cost. Um, and I'm of the same philosophy as you mentioned earlier. I want to be able to have a conversation with my children and saying, I tried. Yeah. That's all it comes down to for yeah. me. And I'm, uh, I tried. You got to be able to look them in the eye. You got to look them in the eye and 100%. say, you know, did I did, honestly, I did everything I, I, I could and I still am. Yeah. Uh, I do think it's also hopeful. Uh, this nature play thing that you and I do. It is, I mean, a lot of the conversations, we think about being a kid right now, a lot of the conversations that they have around the environment are not hopeful conversations. Yeah. These are like, it's death and mayhem and the end of the planet and it is hopeless Yeah. Uh, to talk about the environment. But yeah. if you talk about connection to nature as, as a solution to this, not as a problem we have to fix, but as a solution to all these other problems that we have to deal with. Yeah. Then, then that's a hopeful message. It was one of the only topics I've been able to sit. I sat at a table with an environmentalist from Greenpeace, um, a developer who uh, cuts down the trees and puts in houses, uh, a National Rifle Association person, the NRA guy, um, and a couple of nature play folks. And... We all nodded our heads around this one table. I have no idea how I was sat down at this terrible table. But anyway, sat down at this table and we all could agree that we had to do this. We had to actually figure out how to connect people to nature. Everybody could agree on that subject. Yeah. It wasn't political. It, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't hard. It wasn't angry. It was let's put aside the stuff because the connection to nature piece is more important. Yeah, 100%. And especially for children, if, if they don't have access, how can they manage their understanding of where they belong in it? Right. If there's no start. Right. Yeah, uh, you can't ask people to save what they haven't experienced or to look after what they don't know or what they don't love. So if they don't experience it, touch it, feel it, then they will never fall in love with it. 
like I did. And I was lucky because I got to do crazy cool stuff in canoes out on rivers and in the Grand Canyon and and across Australia and New Zealand. And, and I was very, very, had a very fortunate life where I've managed to see all of those things. And I am connected to that. And I have a number of places that I would defend till my last breath if someone tried to bugger it up. Yeah. And, and that's, I would not feel that way if I hadn't been so connected at an early age to those places. Yeah. Let's flash back where paint us a picture of what that place looked like that you played as a child, your go-to flashback memory. You don't have to think back that far. No, there's all kinds. I mean, there are very quick ones that hit. This is the great thing about multi-sensory engagements. You know, any memory that you have that you say was your favorite one, guaranteed all five senses were getting stuck in on that experience or you wouldn't remember it. So for me, I remember there was a tree in the backyard. That tree, I can sit here for a millisecond and I can see actually the the branch and and how the polished bark from my hand grabbing that one spot was rubbed and darkened by the oils from my hand because that was the one that you you grabbed to pull yourself up. Yeah. And the forts that I built there and the moment when it blew down <laughs> and my uh, argument with my parents that they could not remove it from the backyard when it was lying on its side. And I went and I lived in that thing for six or seven days and I made a fort in the middle of the canopy lying on its side. That was my tree, man. That was my tree. Yeah. And uh, and after uh, uh, several days of this thing lying on its side and me being living in the canopy of this on its side, my my parents announced that it was time to to cut to cut it up and give the yard back to the rest of the family. <laughs> um, fair enough. But um, I remember that. I and I and I remember I became an avid canoeist. Yeah. Very lucky in in uh, where I grew up some spectacular rivers where you won't see anybody for weeks and you'll just paddle. And I learned how to paddle and I learned how to live off the land and I learned how to respect that, uh, the, the plant material I was, I had a guide, um, that, uh, that helped me to experience that and learn about the indigenous, um, traditions and the, and the, the local flora and fauna and how they interacted and what saved what and what we could survive on. And I learned to fish and catch crayfish, and and uh, and fell in love with the canoe yeah. as a as a way to get around. Um, and I think the the patterns that I saw, I think there in terms of an impression for the work that I do. In my best work, you will see some of the uh, rhythm and movement of the of of the swirls in the granite as it formed from from molten. Uh, into pink, hot pink granite is what we have in, yep. in around here, and and some of that you'll see reflected in the work that we do. Some of those shapes that I saw in the trees that are blasted by the wind and twisted around. Yeah, um, I know that if I can see that or have that reflected or have someone else notice that, that that's that's by definition my best work. You're winning, and um, yeah. talking about that experience, um, transcending your childhood experience and. Yeah. the chaos of cubbies and transferring into um, maybe you can share with our listeners how you ended up taking that leap into play and what that first experience and um, your play creation uh, was. 
yeah, my first, well, my first, my first commission, my first job was was uh, was was actually a a bit brutal. Um, I was I was asked to design it's a, good story. a yeah, I was asked to design a playground, and 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 uh, and I know I've told the story many times, but I was asked to design a playground, and I thought, oh, cool, okay, well, and so I designed it. It, it actually was a little creek. And it had rocks on both sides, and it had a log or a tree that leant over it, and uh, it was awesome. I mean, honestly, you would want to play there. You yeah. right now, at this point, being an, an old guy, uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> uh, not a little kid anymore. You're, I know you're a kid at heart, um, but uh, I thought, man, this is good. I, I loved what 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 was on paper just felt great. Yeah. And then uh, presented it to the client, and the client said, oh, no, 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 I wanted a playground. Um, it's sort of like a pat on the head. Like, that's nice, Adam, but I wanted a playground. I, I guess I'm going to go to someone else and get a playground. And it never occurred to me that they could possibly be right. It, it actually never clicked in my head, and I don't know why that is. They were clearly wrong. They yeah. were totally wrong in every possible way. Their kids would have a, a diminished ex experience on anything else, and and I felt more compelled, not less, yeah, um, to figure out how to get more people to get their heads around this. But it was sort of an awakening for me of, oh no, if grown up like grown ups suck, yeah, uh, that what a sad thing to not see how cool that is, mm. and and why that would work. So now if you go into our office and, and you will, uh, you'll see on the main beam uh, that, that holds up the, uh, the room in our office, uh, it says in big letters, it says, grown-ups suck. <laughs> and, uh, and that's now part of our mantra. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Uh, as a result of, the, of my realization. Yeah. And how do you, like, how do you change that? message or I know we spoke about going into the economics and everything but just this ingrained yeah. association that play is about post and platform slides like yeah. how, how do you get across that well I mean I, I, I think there are lots of compelling uh, bits of data but I mean to be honest you know me I mean I do it with sarcasm more than anything else <laughs> I, I I love telling the story so if, if it's about you know if if I think that there is something about telling us telling the story. Plus, it's therapeutic, frankly. I mean, I have been against people who have said no on every possible job early early on. Less so now, because we have a ton of precedents in there. So people can't now say, "Well, you can't do that because it's not compliant." Because mm -hmm. I sit on the subcommittee, so um, it is. Yeah. Period. Yes. <laughs> so I don't have to get into the argument. Or it's not going to be insured. Um, so my my comment on on the insurance piece is every time someone says, "Well, we can't do that because," and they use someone else as the excuse. Yeah. Um, so in the insurance one, I said, "Well, let's let's get your broker on the line. We'll have a conversation with your with your with them now." And they they look at me and I'm like, "No, we'll just phone them up and ask." So the insurance yeah. one I love because I have I've phoned so many of them now and they all say the same thing. They say is this compliant with the standard? And I say, yes. And they say, well, please don't phone me ever again. If it's compliant, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to have this conversation. Yeah. That's all I care about. Yeah. So if it meets the standard, move on. 
Yeah. And and then there's, I think the last bits around this. I mean, the injury risk people are freaked out about. Um, I like to tell the stories. Most people will nod their head when I tell a sarcastic story. Um, most people within the next 24 hours will have a moment where they'll go, actually, that was me. Yeah. And they'll have that moment after they were laughing at whatever the story was. Yeah. So we have some fun stories that we get to tell now. Uh, and I get to have my little therapy session by t telling people that in public. Well, give us an example. Paint, paint the oh, picture. Color sure. in. You painted the picture now. Color it in. Uh, um, so, give okay, us one so, of those so which, which story signature I stories. Um, I think about... Endless. I know there's a funny one, one my, about... Um, one of my favorite... One of my favorites was the uh, the one where I, I got the I, I, from from one of the uh, uh, um, facility owners um, and uh, the director sent me an email and the email in the email it says uh, we're having more accidents and we'd only had the thing installed for you know about a month and I was panicked. So, I did, you know, you, you look at the, your phone. I, I looked at that and I immediately called her and I said, what has happened? What's going on? Did something break? How can I fix it? And she starts laughing at me. She goes, you didn't read the rest of your email, did you? And I said, no. And she goes, the kids are peeing their pants more. That's what the accidents were. It's not, you know, so, so I, got, I got to have, that's like the best compliment I've ever had. Uh, people are so freaked out about accidents. Um and uh, when we came out with the risky play data around injuries, yeah. we started to distinguish between learning injuries and catastrophic injuries being very different. Yeah. You need to have a bump or bruise, a scrape. We're trying not to have people go to hospital. Yeah. Turns out that if you don't have the bumps and the bruises and the scrapes, you go to hospital more often. Yeah. So you need them. Those are learning injuries that give you kinesthetic sense. So when we put this paper out, I got this bizarro call from the Toronto Zoo. And they came back and they said, um, we'd like you to design the baby panda exhibit. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> sure. Of course. That makes sense. I should, I should do that. And I said yes in full confidence. And I'm Googling panda habitat. I have no idea why the heck we would be asked to do this thing. So it turns out that um, there are pandas in captivity and pandas in the wild. And there are, uh, as it turns out, adolescent pandas that have been growing up in captivity are having more accidents and more severe injuries. And they've grown up in these soft fall surfaces and yeah. compliant play areas without being able to take the same risk that they take out in the, in the wild. And so if you look at the ones in the wild, they all have what's called green stick fractures, yeah. when bones bend but don't break. And that means that they're very early in their life. And you go to the ones that are growing up in captivity and they've been coddled yeah. and they haven't been given the ability to have learning injuries and go, ow, well, I'm not doing that again. And as a result, they're having these breaks later on in life and people are freaking out about that um, because pandas cost a million bucks a year to keep alive. There you go. So for some reason, people get that better with pandas than they do with human beings. It's the same <laughs> it story, but pandas seem to work better. Yeah. 
More fluffy. So there's lots maybe. of those sorts of stuff. Fluff factor. Yeah, yeah. They're cuter than people. <laughs> some, <laughs> some, maybe, maybe. Yeah. So what, yeah. what was the end outcome with the enclosure? How did you meet that non? How did you do non soft fall that space? Oh, what for uh, for pandas? the pandas? Yeah. I just tell that story because I think it's cool. We never did it in the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the one project you did do. What, once we got into it, um, and uh, and we got and we got going and and tried to get there, that they really did resist, and yeah. uh, and and they ended up there. I have an attitude towards people who say no, and I used to have the attitude that there were three choices that I had to make. Um, and first was, how do I put my arm around that person and embrace them and walk with them through the change? Yeah. And have them come with me and, and turn them into an advocate. The second choice was, how do I get around them? Because I'm going to get around them. And the third choice was, how do I bulldoze through them? And I have decided, I decided early in my career that all three were on the table. Yeah. And that no matter what, I was going to get to the other side. So people would look at me like I was nuts because I would take on projects where that city was basically only one advocate was there, but that advocate represented the kids. Yeah. So as far as I was concerned, it was all in. Yeah. So we, we pushed all our, our chips in over and over and over again because without those precedents, we were never getting through uh, uh, through this because when we started frankly nobody was doing this yeah um nobody here in scandinavia all the time they all just thought we were crazy yeah um so so we we would push through one way or the other and i did i don't bulldoze as often as i used to because i'm finding it easier to find the advocates now yeah yeah and brings me to another question is that the major change you've seen over the years just more advocates or more people familiar with yeah I, I, I do think that it. there's a lot more parents for sure I mean I yep. think that um, I think that I know that if I get into a room and everyone looks like me then I'm probably in trouble <laughs> 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 I think that old white men don't do particularly well with change so <laughs> I think I think that's tougher uh, in all honesty but but um, no, I mean, I think that we're seeing a shift right now. Um, and I think we're also seeing a demographic shift happen in cities. Um, yeah. I certainly in North America where younger people and more people who are more adventurous with this are starting to look at the data that comes out and saying, we got to give it a go. Um, yeah. where consistently municipal, um, uh, whoever's in the administrative roles are being pressured by groups of uh, citizens who are saying, you can't just pave the whole thing and make it, you know, hot plastic and steel. I need something better yeah. for my kids. And parenting magazines are talking about sensory engagement and nature play and the importance yeah. of it. And uh, there's a reaction, uh, frankly, because the highest rate, the highest uh, uh, rising disability of all right now is sensory integration sensory. issues and spectrum disorders. Yep. So, and, and there is a direct line of sight between that statistically and lack of sensory engagement young. So, so with, I think we've screwed it up badly enough yeah. 
up until the last 10 years that people yeah. now look at it and go, yeah. yeah. And then also tying into like moving out of the surplus safety era, um, embracing risk, which is something I know you're super passionate about and you sit yeah. on a board, a subcommittee for um, assessment of risk. Maybe you could talk to us about what that. Yeah. So there was a group of people who got together. So the, the systematic lit review on outdoor risky play. Yeah. Which is um, astoundingly boring to set up. Uh, <laughs> How do you get but, beyond the boring stuff? Because I struggle. Like once it well, starts to I, get political and stuff, I kind of be like, oh, I just want to get this exhausting. done. It's exhausting. Um, and I did think for a lot. And I, there was a time where I, I left all of that. Um, and I'm just sort of getting back into it again now. Uh, just because I wanted to get the projects done because I thought, you know what, if I just get more projects done, I get more people doing the research on the projects. Yeah, that's probably the best thing I could do. Because I was seeing that there was not there was there were holes in some of the research that we had to push out. Yeah. So somehow just having more and more of the precedent examples was probably better for me to focus on at one point or, or the other. But the outdoor risky play stuff was fascinating. We had experts from Scandinavia, from the UK, from Scotland, from uh, London, from um, uh, it was run by an injury prevention specialist out of the uh, U University of British Columbia. So there are people on this from all around the world, um, from all different stripes. And the conclusions were really pretty interesting in that most of the fear-based um, decisions around compliance standards really are just that they're fear-based, not based in fact at all. Um, that, that statistically really difficult to discern the difference between falls on any surface from three feet up and falls from zero. Yeah. Um, very difficult to discern the difference. And, uh, so, and that, What's the one that my favorite? So just after this thing was over, I'm going to tell you my favorite uh, bit of data. So a friend, Ron Blatz, and Ron is Ron is one of my um, favorite folks, had crunched data um, on every one of the kids at his school, and he has 300 kids at his school, and he has a, about an acre of off the hook nature play, trees and boulders and and hills and and. Uh, uh, and, and old boats and stuff they've dragged from across the street. And it's, it's a bit of mayhem. It's lovely. Big mud pit. It's awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and then they have some plastic and steel play structures as well. well. It turns out that you are 39 times less likely to go to hospital. So that's 3,900% lower rates of hospital visits in the off-the-hook nature play. Yeah. When you look at a per 10,000 hours of use and he crunched a million hours of data versus the plastic and steel and rubber. It wasn't, it's not like the, the numbers are so far apart, 39 times less likely. Yeah. Does um, that come down to they just don't assess? They're, they're not executing and assessing for themselves on a post and platform slide steel scenario. Yeah. It, the reason is is lack of sensory engagement. So you want to have the moment where that kid is fully in the moment, right? Yep. You want when they're taking risks, when they're considering risks, when they're standing on a boulder deciding if they can make it to the other boulder, whether they're going to fall short. 
you want them in the moment and not distracted. The only way you can get them into the moment is when they're having a full sensory experience. Yeah. If you if you remove the sensory engagement, the more you remove the sensory engagement, that's a better way of figuring out whether or not they're going to be good at assessing risk and injuring themselves, as it turns out, than the equipment itself. Yeah. So all of these standards that we've created actually tend to dumb down the experience. And yeah. we remove that sensory uh, engagement, we increase the risk and the injury. It's pretty simple math. Yeah, it is. And that's where you've got this like superpower of having such a compliance influence and then being the pro risk advocate as well. And just because that's a hurdle a lot of people dismiss. Like we see it time and time again. Yeah, we support risk. Oh, but the standards say this, so we can't. They don't. But like, they don't. Yeah, exactly. They don't. I mean it pinch points and, and you don't want to head entrapment and you don't want to have your get your, your heel stuck and flip upside down. And yeah, there are there are things that you can logically apply and there's a fish probe that you use that yeah. if you pass that, then you pass. Exactly. So, uh, and that's as simple as it is. It does not have to get complicated and you have to have X number of, uh, of millimeters of, of impact rated surface on all sides of that thing. Yeah. But if it's furniture, it doesn't count. If it's a natural landscape feature, it does not count. If it's yeah. a border around that to hold back the impact rated surface, it doesn't count. So make all those things wicked cool. Yeah. And 100%. then, because uh, frankly, the kids would rather play on those anyway. Yeah. And, and uh, so, so our attitude towards it is let's 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 look at the rules. I don't think there should be a nature play standard. I've, I keep on hearing this. I think it's a disaster. I think there should be one standard and we should all be forced to comply. And I think that if it was, uh, and and if we do that, nature play actually so, is not hard to make compliant. Yeah, so that's something that hasn't hit our shores quite yet. So maybe unpack that a bit. So based on my very amateur understanding, they're trying to put a compliance on nature, like certification. Okay, this is nature. There's a discussion around this. So the problem with this, of course, is that then every conservation area, every public oh uh, national park, provi uh, provincial park, state park becomes non-compliant everywhere. So oh, it's a, it, is, it is an absolutely impossible standard to, to, to apply. Apply it to the structures that you've designed for hand and feet and climbing. Yeah. And keep the standard the way it is and have everyone apply to, have to comply to the same standard. Yeah. And the stuff that's out of the standard, keep it out. Yeah. And not, not, something not I see again and again, um, and it annoys me, so maybe you can give me some insight on, maybe on how not to be so annoyed, but the selling of nature play when it's not. Like, oh, okay, an example would be we built a wood fort, so now it's nature play. Right. Like That's yeah. something you would have come up against for sure. Oh, you know, so then, so therefore that has to comply to the standard. Yeah. <laughs> so we haven't, we have actually a whole series of forts that comply to the standard. It's all nonsense because it's a structure, not a fort. So here's the thing. Your CPSI, your, your, your certified playground safety inspector, who is the one, because standards are um, applied by humans and humans make mistakes. Humans have biases and humans make mistakes. And I have a bias and I make mistakes. I, when we get into this, when we start doing a project that, you know, we, we work with a client and the client wants to 
know as a priority that this thing is going to be compliant at the end, we say, who is your compliance person? Who is your CPSI ahead of time? Let's get the name of that person. Yeah. And I phone and have a conversation and we see whether or not we can actually work together. And I might end that conversation and go back to the, the owner of the facility and say, time to switch CPSIs <laughs> because we're not going to get there. And yeah. this is going to mean you will fail. And yeah. so we, we work at the very front end to try to, to hit this, to get this sorted out ahead of time. Yeah. Because in the end, it's not the standard that's the problem. It's the people's interpretation of the standard that's, that's at issue. Yeah. So you need to make sure that you're talking to someone who's friendly, who gets it, who's actually really genuinely interested in child development. Yeah. In Canada, there is a person, um, you know, who, who I've done a lot of work with who was the co-chair of the Standard Writing Committee. The guy was brilliant. He would bring his kids to the play and he'd watch so them good. play and he'd film them play and he'd go, ooh, that's a bit dodgy. And then he would phone me and say, I think I know what you're trying to do here. It's really dodgy. Like this one goes too far. Yeah. And this is where you're probably going to fail. But if you do this and this, it'll pass. Yeah. That's the compliance person that you want to be working with, who actually is really interested in what the goals are. If the goals are for optimal child development, then yeah. you need someone who's on the compliance side who believes in the same stuff. If you don't, and they just and they and they they either have a relationship with or a bias towards plastic and steel, then yeah. you're going to be buggered from the start. Yep. Nurture those relationships. Get good people around you. Forget the rest. You got to. You got to. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then what figure, figure out what they need. Figure out what they need to feel better about what they're doing. I mean, I think in the end, people don't usually. I, I actually have faith in people. Yeah, they don't usually suck as human beings. Um, they find themselves there for a series of reasons that they haven't quite understood. So yeah. helping people to not suck, so that they can have some fun, and actually enjoy their. Uh, and, and not doing it full of conflict and bulldozing through. There we go. Takeaway of today, just help people suck less and don't suck <laughs> and we'll win. If you can. If, if we can. can. If you can bulldoze because um, it's worth it. What, what excites you most about what's happening in your world right now? Uh, you know what? I think that... Um, I think that we're in the middle of a miserable pandemic where uh, we're seeing the best and worst of humankind. Um, and for some reason, uh, it is turning out that the data is showing us that if you go outside, you are exponentially less likely um, to have problems with uh, with COVID and, and the transmission of this thing. Yep. And more importantly, if you are on wood and open porous surfaces that are natural, yep. uh, it turns out that in less than 24 hours, it completely renders the virus um, uh, inert. But on plastic and steel, it goes for four or five days. Yep. So we are, we are in every way much better off right now having the conversation. So people who would never contemplate taking an entire school outside yeah. are now advocating for outdoor classrooms. And we are spending a lot of time on the outdoor learning environment side right now, yeah. working with outdoor classrooms. And um, people can find that and have a look at what you're doing for inspiration. Where? Yeah. Outdoorclassrooms.com yeah. is the, uh, is that's, that's your easy way to get to that. And if you want, 
the playground side, uh, uh, you'll go to naturalplaygrounds.ca. But, but I do think that there is an opportunity for those who believe strongly in this to actually advocate for kids to go outside where superintendents will say yes. Yes. And it avoids the play conversation and the risk conversation 100%. and the compliance conversation. Yeah. And it gets them outside. I had a really exciting conversation with the principal lately. I, we touched base. He's like, everything's on hold. We've got to wait to do everything. And I called him up and he's like, you wouldn't believe it. We've had to change everything we've, we're doing in three weeks. And I was like, yeah. isn't that exciting? Let's keep the ball rolling. Like yeah. if, you, if your staff are so capable of this, let's keep that rolling and like create these outdoor learning spaces, outdoor classrooms. If everyone's open to change and they know it's achievable now, they've broken down these walls that they thought could never fall. All of a sudden yeah. we broke down those walls. We can see a horizon all of a sudden. Well, if you look at the Danish example right now, they went back to school in April yeah, and they have not had a single, not a single transmission and they went back to school outside yeah. en masse. Yeah. And if you, if you just do that and they have these sorts of environments that, that you and I do, um, you know, that is, that is the norm. It's yeah. not abnormal to have that. So they're, they're just using that outdoor space and it turns out, you know, you, you have a very simple uh, solution to this. Um, and it also works for teachers too, not yeah. just the kids. Awesome. Thank you so yeah. much for joining us, Adam. Um, as always, super inspirational. Nice to share a drink together. Um, I wish we could be yes. doing it in person and we will in no time. Um, and yeah. I'd love to share with all our followers um, about that, heading over to Canada and really sharing with everyone what you do. Um, well, it'd be great to see you again, and, and I look forward to having a chance to coming out and seeing you guys in Oz. More than uh, welcome, anytime. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, anyone, all the things we mentioned, references will be in the show notes, um, links to the Outclass website, um, Bainstock website. Go head over to their website if you need to be inspired. Just head to their website. Amazing stuff. Check out their projects. It's due to be updated with new projects yeah, yeah. i'm sure we'll put our latest <laughs> ones in it, it drives me crazy i mean it, you get busy and we're and we are busy and yeah, we're but... running around with the i think we did 219 new projects last year so and, impressive uh, so it's it's uh it's hard to get back to post everything out of the website but we have time on our hands now so i see an update coming awesome thank you so Great much adam you. thanks for joining us and thanks for contributing to our listeners and um, the work they do. Always Keep it up, amazing. Keep it up. Thank you for joining us on another Platforward Worthy podcast. That was a phenomenal Adam Bainstock. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating. It helps us out hugely. Um, all notes and references from our discussion you'll find in the show notes. I look forward to you joining us again soon in another Platforward Worthy podcast.